We're discussing personalization for e-commerce and retail with Sean Milani, the chief technology officer of Algolia. We power search and browse and recommendation experiences across 17,000 websites all over the internet. We're actually the, the second biggest search engine in the world behind Google. We power over 1.75 trillion requests every single year. So uh, very exciting, powering a lot of the foundation of the internet. I have to say that at CXO Talk, we're actually one of your customers. We use Algolia on CXOTalk.com. It's great to talk to one of our customers. And uh, yeah, it's great to hear that we can help power your experience as well. You're focused on e-commerce and retail. So why don't you give us just a high level overview of that? We actually serve customers across a whole range of industries, but um, e-commerce is obviously one of the ones that we're best known for. The reason is because search is so important as part of the whole discovery journey in e-commerce. People love e-commerce stores. And one of the reasons is, is because they get such an incredibly wide selection of products that they can shop for. But it's also hugely overwhelming for a shopper. It would be like walking into a physical store and it's the size of like a huge stadium. You would just have million items to choose from, but it's it's very overwhelming. They call this the paradox of choice. The more choice you provide a customer, often the less satisfied they are or the more overwhelmed they are and their experience can actually deteriorate with more choices. E-commerce brings that huge opportunity, but it also um, means that we have to have new tools and technologies to be able to help customers and guide them through this experience. Sean, how do advancements in AI and machine learning, such as chat GPT, affect this search landscape as you've been describing? E-commerce has been around 20, 30 years now, but the experience to a shopper still feels very much like it could come out of the 1990s during the dot-com period. A lot of e-commerce sites are really just a, a product database or a product catalog that have a user experience on it. You still have to talk to the website in the way you would talk to a computer, right? You have to type in like specific words, you have to click on different filters to kind of narrow down the selection. And this is going to change dramatically now. So a lot of these um, language models that are powering ChatGPT have exploded in size and sophistication over the last few years. And they're now able to actually really understand humans in a, in a way in which humans can use natural language. It understands the intent and the concepts behind what they're looking for. Sean, can you elaborate on how AI helps make this shopping experience better for the user. You don't need to be able to talk to the computer anymore. The computer can actually understand you. So what we're seeing is people are using far more expressive language now. The number of words that they're typing into the search box is becoming significantly larger. It's like doubled in size in the last couple of years. But also people are expecting experiences that are far more sophisticated and personalized. As I enter in searches or I click on filters, or I view products, it expects the experience to adapt to me, um, to really understand what I'm looking for, to remember me when I turn up to the site. Sean, you've described how natural language search just makes it easier for end users. Your chief technology officer of Algolia, can you give us a glimpse behind the scenes of how this is possible? There's been a real quantum leap in what we're able to do over the last uh, year or two, as ChatGPT has really demonstrated to, to the world that you can interface with users using natural language, both as the input to ask questions, but also as an output 
to be able to answer their questions. But we're fundamentally changing the way in which we search and retrieve information with these large language models and these new breakthroughs. So instead of using the actual word, we're now actually taking words and we're turning them into something called a vector. And the vector captures the concept and the nuance behind either the word or the phrase or the sentence or your question. It means that we can then go and search through all of the products or all the web pages for other vectors. We turn everything in the index into a vector. And then it becomes this kind of exercise where we try to find similar vectors, just like you use words and try to match them with similar words and web pages. But it means that you can do really, really interesting things. To give you a really powerful example is if let's say you go to a website and you actually want to shop for a specific brand. So let's say I want a North Face jacket. And if the site doesn't sell that brand, right? It's able to understand the concept behind the brand. So understands North Face sells outdoor jackets and it can surface other outdoor jackets that are similar to North Face. We can actually find products specifically designed to solve those problems. Even if the words that you're using when you describe the problem don't match the words in the product. How is this different from traditional search, whether on e-commerce sites or just in just broadly? Traditional search is literally just taking the literal words that you type in <laughs> and trying to find products that use those literal words. You know, a good example is if you wanted to search for chocolate milk or milk chocolate, these are two terms that have exactly the same words, but very different categories to search for. And so it can be very, very confusing sometimes for these search engines um, to be able to disambiguate the actual words. But when we can translate them into very specific concepts um, and really understand the intent behind them, um, then we're going to get far better, more accurate results. And I have to say, some of our um, early customers have just seen incredible increases in the amount of conversions um, and the amount of things that shoppers are able to buy because they're able to find it. Sean, you mentioned vector search. It's a topic that has been around for a long time, yet it's not widely discussed. Why is that? And, and what are you doing with this? We've known that vectors are a better way to represent concepts than words. We've known vectors work from a scientific perspective, and we can get great results in the lab. But it turns out that they're really hard to scale. Like I mentioned, we've got, um, we do about 1.75 trillion search requests a year across 17,000 different websites. And to be able to like apply vectors on every single query is really, really challenging. Vectors are very, very computationally heavy. They take up a lot of memory, both in the server, but also when you're training and storing them. And they're actually pretty slow and expensive to roll out. The breakthrough that we've recently had is um, we've figured out how to compress vectors. So we can actually compress them into like a 10 times smaller format, keeping the same kind of relevancy. Um, and uh, we can do it at extremely high speeds. We can take every single query across this 1.75 trillion, and we can apply a vector search to them. This is the big breakthrough. This hashing technology that we've built means that for the real world production environments, when you need high speed, you need a reasonable cost, and you need really big scale. So this is what makes it practical for you to use vectors in this highly real-time shopping environment. Every single query for our customers we're able to use both vector and keyword in a single uh, kind of API call. And by using both of these strategies, we actually get a lot more information back. 
Um, and we can use the extra information, like how, how many keywords did it match, but also how did the vectors match to do a much better ranking. And I think that's pretty unique. I, no one else in the industry is able to do this at the size and scale and speed that we're doing it at because we're using this kind of technique called hashing. So the technology is enabling a simpler, easier user experience that's at the same time more effective. What we've seen is about 70% of all of the search queries are actually far more complicated one-off type queries where people are asking for very specific things. They have a question. Um, and that kind of 70% of queries are going very unanswered at the moment because they're very difficult to answer with just matching words. So this kind of new AI vector search is really monetizing and helping solve the customer's needs in that 70% of a long tail case. And it actually translates into a lot more sales. Sean, where does personalization fit into this landscape? Creating a loyal customer is one of the most important parts about creating a great business because you pay to acquire a customer the first time. And if they either don't convert that first time because they don't find something or they end up not coming back for a second or third shopping journey, then the economics of acquiring the customer um, become pretty unattractive. How do I create an experience for a shopper where I recognize that they're a customer who's been to the store before? How do I make it feel so that when a customer comes to my store, that they're going to get a superior experience the second and third time versus going to a competitor's store? And that's all about personalization. Once I've seen what a customer prefers, either through the searches that they make on the website or the products that they click on, the products they buy, or the products that they click on and don't buy, you can observe the entire behavior of the customer as they're shopping. And you can learn from it. Um, and you can do that in two ways. Um, the first way is, is when they actually appear for the first time. You can really hang on every single click, every single word that they type in and category that they look at. And in real time, even for a shopper that you've never seen or has never been to the store before, you can start to adapt. This is called real-time personalization. And it's kind of like a cold start problem because you really don't know anything about the customer. But I can pretty quickly find out if there are brands that they are clicking on more or if there are price points that they're gravitating towards. And then I can start to show um, and um, put more of these types of products around brands or prices. Um, or categories in front of them as they click and discover around the site. The second really important thing is once they've actually bought from you, the next time they come back, you acknowledge that they are a customer that you've seen before, and you're able to offer them, again, similar personalized experience. And we've seen that these types of personalization um, algorithms and personalized experiences can drive substantial increases in conversions on the second and third visit, um, as well as um, this kind of real time when they're shopping the first time. So I think it's a very important part of the whole customer life cycle from acquisition, first shopping, second, third, and creating a long-term loyal customer. So you're talking about two kinds of personalization. One is the cold start, as you described, when a visitor first shows up at your yeah. site, but then remembering that visitor when they come back the second time, the third time, and creating an even more tailored and personalized customer experience for them. What does this do to the overall customer lifetime value? You think a lot of people, when they first do their online experience and move online, um, they start to focus really on that very first um, experience of, you know, I put some advertising out, it cost me X. Those shoppers turned up to the site and they bought Y. You know, here's my return on investment. 
Um, but as you start to build a more loyal following and you start to become a little bit more sophisticated in the way you're thinking about your online business, you start to look at the return over a much longer lifetime with a customer. You take the whole lifetime value and then you set that against the acquisition cost. And what it means is, is if you create loyal customers, you can spend a higher dollar to acquire a customer. And so this is really like how to create a scalable uh, customer acquisition business model online is trying to get your um, cost per customer acquisition and your customer lifetime value and the ratio of these two numbers. Um, you want to get that very high. So high customer lifetime value, low customer acquisition. How is this different from the traditional concept of customer journeys and looking at the total lifetime value of a customer? Typically, people will look in session. So they'll only look at the, the specific shopping session um, that the customer is in. And they'll attribute basically all of the value um, against the acquisition cost for the customer. But as you start to create much more AI-powered experiences and personalization, you can start to account for a much larger amount of value that's being created uh, when that customer is acquired over more and more sessions. So the technology enables this broader horizon and more accurate understanding of the customer behavior so that in effect you can amortize your initial customer acquisition cost over this longer broader time horizon a great e-commerce store is one where you spend you know potentially even more money acquiring customers because those customers are going to spend over a series of months and years with you and they're going to become loyal and generate long-term profitability uh, on an individual customer perspective so think of it like a PL for a specific customer, right? Where your profits are the long-term value that they're going to generate through loyalty and the initial outlay, the costs are how much you could spend to acquire them. You've touched on this, but what is the impact on the customer or the benefit that the customer receives to encourage them to come back and therefore provide that loyalty to the retailer? From a shopper's perspective, the benefit is really clear, which is that they're able to find like better products and they're able to do it in a much shorter time period. And it's as simple as like, when I turn up to the site, do I even feel like this is a shop that is kind of um, tailored towards my needs um, and to my tastes? So for shoppers, they're able to find the things they want, but they also have a sense, uh, a feeling of being welcomed and a feeling that the place that they're shopping is the type of place that they want to continue doing business with because it's it reflects their taste, their style, their values. I think the benefit of this type of lifetime customer value analysis is obviously crucial for retailers. But it leads to the next question, which is, how do we implement this? You need to have a partner who can help guide you through the process. There are companies like Algolia and other people who have solved these problems and um, who have really focused on making the um, integration and the data collection pieces that are needed to power these AI algorithms extremely simple. With a few lines of code, you're able to integrate with like Algolia, unlock our uh, search API, working with vendors and working with folks who have dedicated large amounts of resources, time and expertise to solving these problems tends to be the first starting point and often the best solution in the long run. 
What are some of the best practices for implementing personalization across all of the touch points as customers interact with your site? The more touch points and the more data that you're able to capture about how your users are using your product, the better. All of these algorithms really need to be able to understand clicks, views, conversions, but also the product data that customers are looking at and having something that can indicate which customer is which between sessions. So if they can log into your website, that's the best. But if you can add cookies to your website so you can track them between visits, that's even that's good as well. What about the buying funnel where customers are in their journey, in their relationship to you as a retailer? Customers will turn up on the homepage, for example, and you'll have very, very little intent about what they want in this shopping journey. At the kind of high level of the funnel where you're not sure what they're looking for, you want to showcase a breadth um, to them of things that they can find on the store. And if they're a returning customer, you want to have a strong personalization bias on this homepage so that they can see things that are at their taste or style or price points. But as they go and they, they, they search and they start giving you more information about their intent, you really want to focus on the relevance um, and on the accuracy of the results you're showing them um, because they're giving you a very specific request. And then once they land on a product detail page, for example, you have an even more specific piece of information. They're interested in this product. So again, you want to become even more tightly focused on your recommendations. You maybe might not want to use as much personalization when you're on a product landing page um, because actually the, 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 the shopper has told you specifically something that they're looking for. And so as the customer goes in through the journey, you've got to think about how much intent you already have and either dial up personalization when you don't have as much intent or dial up relevance, accuracy um, when you have high intent. Sean, what is the role of real-time data in all of this process? You got to think that a, a large number of customers coming to your website, it may be the first time that you've uh, seen them. It's their first experience. You want that first experience to be great. So as soon as they click on a single item or they type in a search request, you want that data to flow back into your systems and adapt your algorithms in real time. You have to have systems that are extremely fast at both ingesting and getting the data in, but also like retraining and adapting the algorithm. So I think real-time data is very important for that first experience. But also what you sometimes find is customers come back and they shop slightly different way to their taste. So you also want to be able to adapt in real-time, even for customers that you know a lot about. Then you use this data to make the decision around what to show next to that user. And of course, it's happening essentially instantaneously from the user perspective instantaneous. We're talking about milliseconds here that matter in the shopping experience. The faster the experience is, um, the more likely customers are going to continue. Um, we've seen 100, 200 milliseconds worth of delay actually reduces the conversion rate and customers end up leaving the website. So speed is really, really important in the e-commerce world. Are there common implementation challenges that retailers face when they're trying to implement this kind of personalization? One of the hard things is making sure that you are capturing this type of one-to-one -one data around, this is the user that's logged in. This is the cookie ID that they accepted. Um, this is the session ID for their shopping session. And making that information available across every click, every product view, and every single time they come to the site. 
so that the algorithms can do their work. Um, the algorithms can only do so much. Um, they need to be able to identify users. So that's that's really one of the bigger um, areas where um, e-commerce companies need to make sure they've implemented Google Analytics really well um, or whatever their analytics package is. What's the solution to this very common problem? Using off-the-shelf analytics products, but really focusing on doing a comprehensive job at implementing them. Also making sure that when you choose a vendor, that you really take the extra time when you do the integration to um, send all the events, send all the clicks and conversions with the right fields and everything. How do you address the ethical or the privacy considerations that people think of when we talk about this kind of hyper-personalization? One of the things that we have to understand first is, is that um, a lot of customers and a lot of shoppers are very happy to make the trade-off of getting a better experience by allowing the, um, the merchant or the site that they're shopping on to be able to collect this type of data. Um, and when you think about it that way, you want to make it transparent to them what you're doing, um, and you want to allow them to make that trade-off. Uh, for customers who don't feel comfortable with that, you want to enable them to have a very clear trade-off as well and provide a great default experience. I think it's just important about transparency, but also telling customers what the value of it is. Um, so they know ahead of time when they click the kind of accept cookies button or decide to log in and create an account, for example, that by doing so, they're really going to get a, a far better experience throughout the journey. Sean, let's talk about measurement and KPIs. What are the best mechanisms or approaches to measuring the results of these kinds of personalization efforts? We use A-B testing, where we will make a change to the website, like we will um, update our algorithm, and we will send some of the customers down the A channel, which is the old experience, and, and you know some customers down the B channel, which is the new experience. And using statistics, we can find out whether or not the um, customers who are getting the new product or new experience convert at a higher rate or spend more money per purchase or have a higher revenue in total. Um, and we can figure out the statistical significance of this so that when we actually decide to roll out the change, um, we're confident that it's actually going to improve uh, the experience for customers. So it's exciting. It's a bit like scientific experimentation. In this experimentation, how much is managed by the retail shop owner versus how much is managed by Algolia behind the scenes? We have A-B testing built into everything that we do on the platform. Um, because we think it's just like one of the highest velocity ways of improving your experience. So um, it's definitely built into Algolia. We can run, manage um, all the A-B experiments for you, show you the data, um, so you feel confidence in, uh, in making changes. Are there specific metrics that reflect customer revenue, but also customer loyalty and customer lifetime value? There are a lot of really important metrics that you need to keep track of when you're running a, a, an online business. And it really depends on kind of where in the buying funnel I think you are. So for example, when a customer first arrives in the site, it's important to look at the bounce rate. How many clicks did they get into the product before they're able to experience it? Whereas if someone's made it all the way to a landing page, for example, you probably want to be more focused on the conversion rate and whether they're actually going to check out and buy something. Um, and then after they've actually bought something, you really want to be looking at that lifetime value number. How often do they come back to the website and visit again? One of the things that I think is extremely important, particularly for search, 
is the position at which someone has clicked on a result when given a set of search results. If you have, let's say, 10 rows worth of search results, um, the results that appear on the very first row will always get clicked on at a far higher rate than the ones that appear on the 10th row. So I really think that um, making sure that the products that you're getting into that first row um, or second row are extremely relevant, we see it makes a big difference. All of these very granular sets of reference data become the building blocks or the components of understanding the consumer, and then you can respond. You need to understand the products really well that you're selling and the, the kind of options that you have to present. Um, secondly, you have to understand the shopper who turns up through personalization, through profile building, through looking at all their past interactions. Um, and then thirdly, you need to understand in real time the things that they're telling you that they're looking for, the intent. How do you manage two different kinds of shoppers? You have folks who show up and they leisurely want to browse your catalog. And then you have other people who just, you know, I don't have any time and I just need to buy this product. And if you don't have this product right now, I'm going away. And if you do have it, I'm going to buy. There are a couple of shopping modes. Um, the first one, which obviously you need to be um, incredibly good at capturing um, a high intent shopper who's come to buy a specific product. Um, and you need to do that with incredible search results and really great ranking of those results. But then you have a second set of shoppers who um, really enjoy the experience of um, coming to a site and being inspired and discovering this site has to offer. And these are shoppers where you really want to create a browse experience, um, which is far more interactive and far more um, inspirational. So I'll tell you at the moment, most uh, sites have a browse experience, which is something along the lines of, okay, a customer clicks on the dress category. We have 30,000 dresses. You know, Give them 100 pages worth of dresses and order that by the most popular. And it's just like entirely overwhelming. And often the most popular products are some of the least inspirational. Sean, where is search going over the next few years? One of the big things that's going to happen to search, we talked about how vectors and large language models are really transforming the way that we search. We're not just matching keywords anymore. We're actually understanding customers, understanding the concepts and coming up with much better matching uh, algorithms. But I think one other major change is going to be the way that we have um, a more conversational approach to shopping. So when you think about the offline shopping experience, often people go into a physical retail store uh, because they want to get some assistance um, and they want to talk to someone who has some expert knowledge. That used to be an experience that wasn't very good online. It's very static. It's like, here, just read the information. You figure it out for yourself. But with the power of ChatGPT and these large language models, we're going to be able to have much more expert personal assistant-like conversations at scale. Sean, what should e-commerce retailers do now to take advantage of all of these capabilities you've been describing? So I think there are three main things that uh, e-commerce operators should be thinking about. The first is the vendors they work with. Um, they should be working with either their existing vendor today to take advantage of some of the AI capabilities that are coming or to you know, select or add vendors who have these AI capabilities. Um, the second thing is, is that I think they really need to focus on their own analytics. 
So really capturing all of the data correctly about their customers, whether that's clicks and conversion data, but also like making sure they capture the cookie IDs and who's logged in, et cetera, so that you can personalize the experience. And then thirdly, I think they should be thinking about the metrics that matter to them as a business. So they can understand how the AI algorithms are actually creating a more sustainable, profitable, and long-term loyal customer base. We've been talking with Sean Milani, Chief Technology Officer of Algolia. For more information, check out www.algolia.com.